welcome to today's episode of the Sensational Kid Show. I have with me again today the wonderful Archie, and we are very excited to be talking about monotropism. Welcome, mm. Archie. Hello. Hi. So tell me about monotropism, because I yes. don't know very much about it. I'm actually quite excited about this one because monotropism is, I think, a really big part of like modern autism theory, if you want to call it that. Okay. Um, and it's basically, at its core, it's the tendency for autistic interests to kind of pull us in more strongly than most people. Okay. And the subsequent difficulty that we have transitioning from one subject to the other. Okay. Um, the idea is... Um, that it rests on the model of a mind being an interest system which can direct our attention from one thing to another. Uh, it can direct our attention to necessary tasks, such as when, I don't know, we were in like a hunter-gatherer kind of lifestyle. And nowadays it uh, directs our attention to daily tasks. So, um, you know, things to do with finance, things to do with hobbies, stuff like that. Okay. Um, in a monotropic mind, fewer interests can be aroused at one time. Um, but we tend to delve deeper into them. Uh, and, but, and that requires more resources and processing power, which can make it harder to deal with things outside of our like current attention tunnel. Okay. So at its core, it's just we dive really deep into things. That takes up a lot of our energy. And so it's difficult to transition from thing to thing. And this theory, it can explain a lot of things. The first thing that I do like about this theory is that it's got autistic people in mind. Okay, yeah. There are a lot of other autistic the uh, theories like um, Simon Baron Cohen's um, extreme male brain and theory of mind theory, which straight suck, they are bad, um, yeah. and they don't keep in mind actual autistic experience. And this one yeah. does. It's like, oh, okay, this explains a lot of stuff for us and isn't like based on harmful stereotypes or bad dichotomies. It's just a decent explanation of stuff so far. The idea okay. that we just delve deep into stuff. It does explain a few more, but I just want to check that. Do you have any questions about it so far? Because it's, I'm very no, good I'm at making just, simple I'm things. I'm just thinking it, <laughs> it kind of would, you know, I'm just thinking about the whole idea of, of transitioning and how so many of the kids I work with have such difficulties transitioning and how that is related to to this to monotropism um yeah mm. it does Sorry. explain a lot of traits like um yeah. it does explain the difficulty transitioning but also obviously explains special interests yeah or, yeah you know, just hobbies <laughs> yeah um it can explain sensory overload because we have fewer resources at one time to focus on different things so when yeah. something suddenly happens we're like ah oh, brain short circuits um they can explain burnout and energy situations and why we need things like spoon theory to kind of ration yeah. our energy yeah um it can lead to direct autistic communication and like literal language issues because we don't have much energy for interpreting and making these kind of multi-layered nuanced social ideas we'll just speak yeah. our mind yeah um there are a couple of others as well meltdowns when overwhelmed yeah and um. oh and this is a really big one it can potentially explain why we are geared towards pattern spotting and problem solving because we're able to put a lot more attention into one um, thing. And so we're able to pick okay. out the smaller details when we are focused on something. And that doesn't just describe autism because that can also describe ADHD. Yeah. 
Um, you're with me so far. <laughs> I am. I'm. I'm having my mind blown. It's really cool. And the fun thing about it is um, there is also obviously a polytropic theory of uh, attention span too, um, which largely describes non-neurodivergent minds. Mm -hmm. And neither is good or bad fundamentally or even better than the other. Um, They're just better suited for different things. Okay. Like I was telling you like um, before we started recording that I was doing some gardening yesterday. Yes. Because I am autistic, I struggle to... um, transition between things so so i've recently started um saying okay monotropic mind theory can't transition between stuff but can do stuff really well in detail just do it as long as you can don't yeah. do anything else focus on this one thing and do it as well as you can and i did it for like six hours and it was really fun and i is that like getting into that that time blindness but that state of flow yeah, that oh, would explain um, our ability to hyperfixate as well. I can never say his name, but he's done a lot of work. Um, Mahali Skizamantali, apologies if I'm saying your name completely incorrectly, but a lot of, of 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 research and work on this state of flow that you get into. Oh, um, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, so yeah, it's that. Cool. Yeah. And it's easier to then, but then how do you get out of that? How do you not garden for 24 hours? It's a good question. Um, I think a common tendency when hyperfixating is ignoring the body needs. So like exhaustion, um, hunger, thirst, stuff like that. So that interoception that we were talking about. Yeah, that might also be explained by monotropism, but I might yeah. be reaching there. Um, I'd say to transition out of that, um, it is difficult. Um, my current uh, method of doing that is just to do it until I can't do it anymore and then hope I've got nothing else to do for the day <laughs> and spend the rest of the day just sitting down reading or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, currently I need to find a better way to transition out of those hyperfixations. But the best I can do so far is just do all the little things I need to do for that day beforehand Okay. and then collapse afterwards. Okay. There are going to be better and like more efficient or sustainable ways of dealing with it. Probably if you could find something that would help you transition between tasks like making food or sitting down and talking to somebody, um, whatever would work for you. Okay. Or maybe a, like if I think of, <clears throat> of, of the young people I work with, maybe moving on to something else as fun or something else that you want to do, like getting a snack or. Yeah, actually, that's a good one. That is a good yeah, one. Or a, yeah. Like um, um, I got a new game yesterday and. Um, I started playing that after I had done that and it, okay. after I gardened and I, it was really fun and it was really simple and it helped me kind of transition out of that. So if yeah. you had like a comfort game or book yeah. or people you wanted to spend time with, that would be a good one. Yeah, or or having to do a chore, but something that you really enjoy, like taking the dog for a walk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dog walking is so nice. Yeah, you know, so something that can shift. Yeah, that's like a gradual moving away from something really physical that you were doing. Um, and then, yeah, that's really interesting. Cause I had yesterday, <clears throat> um, for some reason I was annoyed about, I can't remember what, and I ended up, um, oh, I was annoyed with my son cause he had, um, I'd bought a new air fryer oh, and nice. I also bought an ice maker because our, our freezer's ice machine is broken. Oh, I was too. It's more expensive to get someone out to fix it. 
So I just bought a countertop. And but he was asking me all these questions like, why did you buy this one? How much did it cost? Why are you moving? And and there was just, and I was just sitting there getting really annoyed. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go and clear the shed. It's been on my list for a year and a half. Oh, and then nice. I just went and started clearing out the shed, the spiders and the all sorts of things. But afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, that feels, but I guess that's how it links with that sensory overload, right? You're feeding your sensory needs. You're getting into the state of flow. You're just focusing on that one task, as you say, like a hyper-focus. So I wonder if there's, um, like you said, that actually being able to use your monotropism by saying, actually, I can't do something for a short time, so I'm just going to throw myself into this gardening for six hours. Yeah, Um for, pe- for a lot of neurodivergent people, I don't like the term, but productivity can be quite a difficult thing, like an uphill yeah. mountain. Um, if you want to apply monotropism to help that, my advice would be to pick just one thing to do per day. Like if you have regular um, responsibilities like your work and uh, you're caring for somebody, obviously that is going to take precedence. But yeah. if you're able to do both, like if I was doing a job for a year, after a year it wouldn't feel like I'm doing a job, it would be part of my routine. I could then have that one thing a day and that one thing yesterday for me was gardening, but I could also do something like making music or recording something for the drums. And so if you want to apply monotropism to help you be more productive, I would say just do one thing a day and do it really well. Okay. And this also applies to non-neurodivergent people because monotropic theory means it kind of tends to allow for multitasking quicker transition between tasks um have more balanced and controlled sensory and attention like transition um but it also means that they don't go into depth as much as neurodivergent people do so there are pros and cons for both of them okay so it's yeah you know how you have my husband always <clears throat> tells me to make lists and i'm like oh yeah phd stop telling me to make lists but he'll always he'll say prioritize them the one thing that you have to do that day add that at the top yeah and then just like throw yourself into that and just do that really well and then Mm. move on um yeah that would be a good thing that would work i often lie to myself like i'll I'll often say oh i'm just gonna clean i'm just gonna empty the dishwasher because that's really easy because when you get overwhelmed the first thing i need to do is say okay small easy goal yeah. I'm just going to empty the dishwasher, guys. I'm not going to do anything else. And then yeah. an hour later, the whole kitchen's clear. And I'm like, oh, who saw that coming? Um, but yeah, like, just I like to lie to myself because that yeah. makes it a lot easier to start doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's not, I, I wouldn't say you're lying to yourself. I think you're using a strategy, right? It's a. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a genuine lie. Like the back of my brain, I know, I know. I'm going to do more. Um, yeah. And I guess this, you know, we can, we can talk about this another time, but it, it, it fits really nicely with things like fixations, you know, how so yeah. many kids will do um, Minecraft or another game for just hours on end um, and just be really consumed by it, but then struggle to move away from that. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's, it's finding ways of, of certainly for parents and, and carers of how they can move their kids on from that. Yeah, um, I think the reason games can speak to neurodivergent people is because they are they can be quite easy once you get the hang of it. They're very repetitive. 
can do it at your own pace. It's all in your own control. There are very easy and achievable goals, stuff like that. So if you were able to find something else that had a similar task list that they were interested in, okay. that would work wonders. Like for me, I do like to sit down and play in a game for hours. I did that until two last night because of course I did. But um, there are other things that can fit that. So when I was doing the gardening yesterday, it was repetitive, had a clear goal. I was in charge the whole time. And it was, you know, like hard work, but it was fairly simple and easy. And so all of that really spoke to my brain. And so if you were to apply that kind of list of things to something that a kid is interested in, then they might be able to kind of balance um, how much they're playing games with other stuff in their life. Yeah. I go on these tangents. <laughs> I oh. do it all the time. I go on these like huge tangents. No, no, no. That's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's um, amazing to think about just, you know, how we can get so focused on something. Do you think you can become, you can have monotropism for a best friend or like a, a, a friend? So I see this a lot with kids when they struggle when they focus on a friend and they struggle to move away from that friend, say when the play date's over. Yeah. That I would, say I would that's say that of, of... definitely. Yeah. Okay. Because it's a form of fixation and that's most likely going to happen amongst PDA kids as well. Okay. Okay. Um, because they, yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's a hard one for, for parents and carers and teachers is, now, it's great to be focused on something, but then when we have to move on mm. and perhaps we have to move on because it's not always something exciting, right? Yeah, it's, sometimes it's difficult to engage with something you're not interested in, like cleaning up your room. Exactly. Okay. Um, what else can you tell me about monotropism? Oh, um, well, I think that I – oh, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say I really like the idea of it <laughs> – the idea of the flow state. Yeah, I would say that that isn't something I've touched on yet. Is a okay. good thing to bring up. Yeah. Um, because um, that flow state is like a balance between like enjoyment and challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it says I'm just looking at some um, some information, and it says it. Um, you know, they you get it's really satisfying. So when you do something, you regulate your sensory system. So think about you gardening. Mm. Yeah. You said it is very predictable. It's reassuring. You're in control. It decreases your stress. You can gain if you are focusing on on something new, like some real deep knowledge and understanding. And it just gives you this flow state, which makes you feel really happy. balanced. It makes me feel like more calm. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's really important, right? It's just. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's it's a fun cool. one. And it was developed by autistic people. And I, mean, I think that's, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just so that actually, you know, um, oh, I'm just reading it. It says some benefits of embracing monotropism, attention to detail, higher levels of focus, increased attention, um, also better mental health. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. Because it's reassuring, reliable. Reduces anxiety, reduces depression. It's a joyful experience. And if you want, it says it can enhance social experience and communication. Definitely. That's pretty cool, right? Um, I'm going to have to read this some, just some things on you. And I think I'm going to 
end up in a flow state when I <laughs> on a um, on monotropism. Um, I was there was also something that I read just a minute ago about the problem of is it double empathy? Oh, the double empathy problem. Oh, dude, I wish I understood this. Could you okay. go on, actually? Sorry. Uh, go on, go on, because I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is something no, I, get. I just I don't. I don't quite understand it. So it says that, you know, if you, it, it explains um, this misunderstanding that can occur between people who just, who, who see the world differently. Mm. And if you think of a, um, a definition, um, it says, um, so a theory that helps describe what happens when autistic and non-autistic people struggle to understand each other is called the double empathy problem. Hmm. Um, and it says, you know, you have empathy is being able to like understand other people's feelings or thoughts or be aware of them. And what they say with the double empathy problem is that empathy is this two-way process, which depends on a lot of our ways of doing things and our expectations from those previous social experiences. And those can be very different for autistic and non-autistic people. Okay. And the differences can lead to a breakdown in communication, which is distressing for both autistic and non-autistic people. Um, and it can quite often you can have non-autistic parents find it really frustrating when they can't understand their autistic child's feelings okay. or the autistic child is going to get really frustrated when they can't communicate their thoughts and their feelings to others. And so what they're saying is there's these um, communication barriers between mm. your autistic and non-autistic people can make it really difficult for them to connect and share experiences and empathize with each other. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is like. Was that under yeah. monotropism? Yeah. Yeah. Damn, dude, it, I should have written um, that down before. That's really clever. Yeah, I'll send you a little screenshot of this. Like this, it just talks about double empathy problem. Um, and yeah, how it, um, and it just says, you know, if um, mo uh, mo monotropism is one of the key ideas required for making sense of autism along with the double empathy problem and neurodiversity. Oh, dude, that's good. That's really good. So it's like this, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's that explains so much if you think of parents who are neurotypical and just really, really struggling to, to get onto the same kind of level as their autistic kid, right? Um, like, you know how we do, like, inference and we read between the lines. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think that's, um, hmm. yeah, and I guess we know that if you, if you think about how people who are neurodivergent just get on more easily. Oh, dude, when an ADHD person and an autistic person you meet, know. it's like a house on fire. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun. <laughs> um, you know, like I have a young person I work with, she's 18 or 19, and she has real word-finding difficulties. She's autistic. And she comes to sessions and they travel really far. And then she'll say stuff. And her mom will sit there and go, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm absolutely there. Aww. And she's just like, you know, and so we'll have this. And her mom is just like, 
how do you do that? And I, I go, I have no idea. Just, <laughs> you know, I just get it. I just get what just she's happens. trying to explain. And um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really interesting as well. If you can think of how understanding the double empathy problem or um, yeah, that mm. with monotropism. So the child who's in this, this autistic child who's in the state of flow of monotropism, not being able to explain or communicate to their non-autistic neurotypical parent what it is they yeah. get and what it is they're needing. And for that parent to then go, actually, okay, this is what you're getting. This is what you're needing. This is what I can possibly replace it with without having this huge meltdown, which is essentially a breakdown of communication. I don't know. That's really clever. I like that a lot. Okay. I'm like adding more and more puzzle pieces to the monotropism board. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I'm just like, yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons I like this theory so much is it feels more human-based than a lot of the other ones, which kind of seeks to pathologize or like base and stereotype a lot of other theories yeah um, yeah and it explains so much in a way that i mean i'm just looking simple. at it now and like the number of papers that i've written on this is you know like specific to school and play and really what yeah and work that really surprises and, me um yeah hmm. there's and they are of fairly new articles as well like 2018 2021 um, oh okay they would have I've, there are three big names actually in monotropism. I wrote it down here. Dinah Murray, who passed away shortly, okay. recently, I think. Yeah. Uh, Wen Lawson and Mike Lesser. Okay. They were three really big names in monotropism. Okay. Um, um, so they might have written some of those, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and it's um, yeah. So Rebecca Wood um has written some articles. She's written a book, actually, and some articles for autistic kids and intense interests. And, um, yeah, um, a lot of people had to have done things for it on, like, their um, PhD, PhD thesis. Oh, of course. You can get, like, the uh, academic documents. Yeah, so when Lawson's name's coming up, um, Damien Milton has written an article on the double empathy problem salience and interpersonal flow Ooh. and it's Ooh. yeah i'm gonna have to send you these um jamie knight did you say jamie knight jamie knight yeah did you say that name i didn't i think okay. they might be a radio presenter for bbc uh they do an autism podcast maybe okay so yeah there's be. um yeah i'll check that now i'm curious yeah no there's loads that i'm just i'm just looking at and um yeah, okay. We might have to do this as a another topic because I'm just there was just one um article that just drew my eye, which was about meerkats. Now I love the idea of a meerkat because you know you talk about a meerkat as someone who, who needs to know everything. There's the state of hypervigilance. Um and um someone's written an article where she describes meerkat mode as a state of hypervigilance experienced by monotropic people unable to access flow states. I'm like, whoa. Oh, gosh. I know. Oh, I'll as well. I know. Oh, I'll please do. Them. That's cool. Yeah. So she describes meerkat mode as hypervigilance 
you're seeking a monotropic flow state, but you can't access it. You have increased sensory dysregulation, usually in terms of your interoception, proprioception, and vestibular. Hmm. It can be indicative of atypical burnout. And ORD HD may not feel tired or be able to rest. Mm. And in terms of just if, if, if I just read about the seeking the monotropic flow state, what she says is that, um, so as we said earlier, that flow state in terms of monotropism refers to that tendency for monotropic brains to fall into deep attention tunnels that are intrinsically motivating. So they say that flow yes. state and hyperfocus are often used interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and because of this hypervigilance that some people experience, they have a really difficult time to access the flow state, which is really interesting. I'm going to send you those links. That makes a lot of sense to my head. Okay, yes, please yeah. do. That's yeah. a really interesting thing to think about. So for our listeners, we have gone off into a flow state about monotropism. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we'll just, um, sum up to say that monotropic minds tend to have their attentions pulled more strongly towards a small number of interests at any given time, leaving mm. fewer resources for other processes. Um, and yeah, it is fascinating and is a really, really amazing way of, um, it's a theory of autism that was developed by autistic people. And that's probably why we have such an affinity for it, right? Yeah, so, it's like, it's about us, with us, yeah. which is yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, for us, um, by us, hmm. almost. Right, well, I'm going to say goodbye there. Um, have okay. a lovely uh, couple of days camping. Enjoy I the will. day. And yeah, we'll speak to you very soon. Bye.